pull up a seat to the edge table with Nicole Biscotti and Melissa Seiboth. Welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to pull up a seat to the edge table. I'm Melissa Seidbotham, and I'm here with my good friend, Nicole. Hi, I'm Nicole Biscotti. The Edutable is a place for parents and educators to share ideas and perspectives. This has become a critical conversation, given what we're all dealing with at the moment and the impact that it's having on education and on our children. Today, we're going to discuss the opportunity that this crisis has given students to take ownership and to pursue their passions. We have a wonderful panel of guests um, with us today. Let me go ahead and introduce you. First up, we have the amazing Vernon Wright. Hi, Vernon. Hey, good morning, uh, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time zone that this finds everyone at uh, that is listening. I am just absolutely honored, uh, privileged, and humbled uh, to be on this episode with you guys today. Love the work that you're doing. And for the folks that are listening, if you're not plugged in to these folks here that are doing this great work, go ahead and do that now. Just absolutely honored to be with you guys today. Thank you, Vernon. We're super excited to have you on board with us today, too. Next up on our panel, we have Tom Huddock. Hi, Tom. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I also appreciate being on this. I mean, we've talked a lot on Twitter and whatnot, so I'm glad to kind of actually have a good full conversation with everyone that's here. Uh, yeah, I've kind of got a bit of a different path getting here. So I'm not an educator, not traditionally uh, trained in education. However, uh, did start lots of different things around education, specifically around interdisciplinary inquiry learning. And uh, that's got me through starting a nonprofit running events for high school kids onto starting a school that uses this methodology. And now I'm here. So, you know, really, I just want to see a lot of good, healthy change and kids following their passions. Sounds great. Also on the call, we are super lucky to have three actual students. We have Elizabeth, Tallulah, and Dutch, and they are students from Washington State and California. Elizabeth, can you say hi? Hi. Hi. Tallulah, can you say hello to everybody? Hi. And Dutch, how about you? Hi. <laughs> um, last but not least on our panel, we have Becky, and you probably will recognize her voice because she was with us in our very first episode, and we're so glad to have her back. Welcome, Becky. Hello. Happy to be back. Excellent. Thank you all for being here. I really just want to acknowledge all of you for taking the time to join us today in the midst of the craziness and um, challenges that we're facing right now. Thank you. Our first question for today is, how has what students are actually learning shifted during this crisis? Vernon, from your vantage point as an, a district administrator in Texas and a dad, what have you seen regarding that? Vernon, do we have you? I think one of the things that has really been great that has come out of this process, um, both for the adults and for the students, right, <clears throat> has been really this 
reflection on what is a quote unquote learning experience. And I think sometimes that, um, you know, we find ourselves in, in this position where we take things for granted, right? We just say, oh, yeah, everybody's learning, everybody's learning. And then we come to a situation like this, which obviously is a very much, very much so an unprecedented one. And we stop and we have to ask ourselves, what is a learning experience? What is that? And then, you know, what we find, what we find is what we've always known, right, is that learning uh, transcends curriculum, right? Curriculum, the standards, the things that we look at. Learning really has at its core human interaction. And so one of the things that um, has been just really, really, really phenomenal to see is the amount of thought collaboration and new thought partners that people have acquired uh, throughout this. It's been really, really cool. So one of the things that that I have seen is just this acquisition of what we would call 21st century skills. And not only the acquisition of that, but adults and students alike actually applying those skills to really shift the paradigm and to redefine what learning is. Yes, I think that there's some opportunities, a lot of opportunities in this situation for us to look at how we view learning going forward, definitely. Tom, what do you have to say about that from where you're standing? I know that you are the founder of ARC Academy of Inquiry and also a father in British Columbia. What are, what are you seeing? Well, I'm definitely seeing my son uh, socializing on group chats and gaming and all this has definitely gone up and exploded. And when I hear him in the other room chatting, I do hear them talk about, you know, the virus and what's going on. And But I also hear a lot of them trying to create humor and having some, you know, levity with this whole situation. And, and obviously it's not as heavy on maybe some kids than it is maybe on the adults because uh, maybe we watch the news too much. But uh, yeah, and I, and I feel like this is almost a time for them to take a break. Like a, it's a kind of a forced side path for them to go, ah, you know, maybe I just need to find, my hope is that they look at this and go, maybe this is a time for me to find some ideas, interests, passions that I've had that I wasn't able to do before. That's my hope. And maybe they can get there. And I think that's a very interesting point of view. Um, My sister actually called me today very upset. She's not in education and her two daughters are seven and nine. And um, she's really stressed out with the Google classrooms and keeping up with the work because basically the teachers that they have have put the entire like lessons for the day that they would normally cover in the classroom online. So my sister's working from home and trying to teach two kids in the first grade and the fourth grade and getting really stressed out to cover everything. And she told me, I thought it was really cute because my seven-year-old niece said, well, maybe if we go to my aunt Nicole's house, she's a teacher and she can help us. (laughs) But I, I tried to talk my sister down from the ledge and kind of explain to her that this is not a time to really necessarily cover everything, but it's an opportunity to really connect with learning. Elizabeth, Tallulah, and Dutch, I know that you girls are in middle school and high school. How have you felt about how things have been in terms of what are you actually learning during this crisis? I haven't learned anything for a week. <laughs> that sounds like Dutch. 
no, Dutch is no. Is that, a, oh, that was Tallulah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Tallulah is a high schooler from Washington. Tallulah, tell us a little bit about your experience. Uh, well, they're still trying to figure out how to do distance learning at my high school. So the first assignment I had actually came in today. So I haven't really had anything for the last week from the high school. Okay. Now I know Dutch is in middle school. Um, Dutch, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been up in Washington? Uh, it's been relatively strange because I've the only time I've ever had a break this long is summer. And the only thing I've learned is all the good radio stations and how to do a front flip on the trampoline. <laughs> well, that sounds like something fun. How about you, Elizabeth? Um, well, uh, my school has been pretty on top of the whole long distance learning and because like we all because it's a private school so they all give us like these ipads so we're all on zoom and it kind of sucks because our wi-fi is not the best so i keep getting like disconnected and not being able to upload assignments but like overall it's not that bad and Mm -hmm. it just gives me a lot more free time to like actually do things i want to do instead of being stuck in a classroom I love hearing that, by the way. I'm just going to sneak that in. <laughs> well, and, and I think that it needs to be said that Elizabeth is in high school. And so I think the older students are, the easier that kind of distance learning is simply because they can be a little bit more um, independent. So I know I have um, a middle schooler and I also have a first grader and I can I can totally sympathize with um, Nicole's sister about you know how difficult it is to to be a principal and to support all of my teachers and to to help all of the um, to help all of the parents who are having issues connecting on different platforms and make sure my own kids are doing their lessons. So there's there's a lot going on right now. There definitely is. There is. Becky, as a mother, what have you noticed about what the kids are learning during this crisis? Well, um, we are just starting our courses uh, tomorrow for Dutch. We have to go pick up his learning packet from school. And so he's going to start tomorrow and Tallulah just started today. So it's kind of been slow learning. But in the last week, instead of doing schoolwork, they both kind of decided on projects that they wanted to do um, for themselves, just stuff that they really wanted to do. And I should probably let you or let the kids tell you about that. Tell them what you're doing. Uh, I took up gardening. Oh, Tallulah, you took up gardening. I did. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, I went to Walmart and we got some seeds to plant and then I decided, okay, well, I need a garden for this. So then we went to Bo <laughs> and got a kit and I built a garden and I've been working on that for the past week. That is awesome. Yay. That's great. Yeah. What a valuable learning experience that really wouldn't have happened in a classroom. That's, that's really yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I figured out how to uh, germinate the seeds. You need like plant cells. Which are like plastic containers for plants, but I didn't have any of those. So I used like red solo cups 
and you're supposed to put uh, plastic over the plant cells, but again, didn't have that. So I rubber banded plastic bags over them. And the point of that is to keep the moisture in. And that's actually been going pretty well. They're doing good. What a great idea. And I really applaud you for taking that initiative. That's that's a really good idea to do um, during this. It's a great learning experience and it's very relaxing because I know a lot of us are a little anxious. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Elizabeth and Dutch, have you taken up any interests um, during this time? Um, okay, this is going to sound like really cliche for a teenage girl, but I've started playing ukulele and I've also started doing a lot more drawing, which has been really fun and really relaxing. And now my fingers really hurt, but it's so <laughs> worth it. Because I can make something that sounds really nice, and it's just it makes me really proud to be like have like a physical thing that I can say I made this, you know. Mm-hmm. That is awesome, and you know what? That is really inspirational for educators to hear. I feel like as a teacher myself, because that enthusiasm in your voice and that pride is what we really want to evoke with learning. But sometimes, like Vernon said, we're relying on kind of taking for granted the old model. So this is a good time for us to rethink things. Yeah. And, and typically, you know, what I found is paradigms are shifted um, when we're presented with opportunities to reflect on whatever it is that we've been doing. And so <clears throat> a lot of creative genius has been born and will be born out of a situation which, you know, really is not a favorable one, <clears throat> excuse me, a favorable one for anyone involved, Right. Uh, but there is a lot of creative genius that is being born out of this. And one of the things that I would like to go ahead and mention, too, is we talk a lot in, in our business about student agency, right, and student empowerment. And some of the creative genius that is uh, being developed right now uh, is shifting a lot of the learning experience and the ownership of it to students. And that's very much a paradigm shift versus where it was before, <clears throat> excuse me, which is, you know, someone delivers the instruction to you and you take the instruction and then you do something with it, right? So you were a consumer. And when we get into learning experiences where students can shift from being the consumers to also being co-creators, that's where there's really some deep, deep synergy and some really phenomenal magic. Yes, absolutely. Learning is supposed to be about. So you know what I hear, and I and I love this conversation is the is the intrinsic motivation piece. I'm going to pull out all the educational kind of speak, but yeah, it's the intrinsic motivation, and it's something that you know, like we've already heard it on this broadcast about someone finding an interest in gardening, and that's already spanned out into learning a bunch of different things and the seeds and the growing and how that will expand and wherever that ends up taking her. And I find that people, kids just get so much more excited when they know that it's their idea. And, and it's the same for adults. Like when it's our idea, we love it. We talk to everybody about it if we could, but um you know, and I just feel like that's the 21st century space that we want to start to head towards because that's allowing them to figure out how to do some planning and motivating themselves and being interest-driven, all the self-efficacy that goes behind that. I mean, 
that's for me those are the gems and and when i see that happening at the school and and when kids come up to a teacher and you know and they and they like i don't know what next to do i've got to this part of my project i don't know what to do and and the pause happens and then when the student goes you know what i got an idea and then runs away i'm like that is a moment of brilliance right there because the teacher didn't have to jump in and go okay let me tell you what to do and the kid just had enough energy and insightfulness to, you know, want to go try it himself. And let me connect That's that. So true. And, and that was phenomenal. And that was fabulous. It just absolutely spot on. Let me connect that real quick and, and really extrapolate that and, and bring in how leaders work with adults. Right. And one of the things, uh, and for those that are out there that are listening that, um, either you have some effect upon or you're in charge of uh, hiring and retention of talent, uh, please hear me when I say this. One of the best ways to retain top talent is to give them opportunities to create and show their inner genius. And just like in those situations where we're giving students those opportunities to really go ahead and display and, and really show us um, again, the creative genius that they have. My wondering is this for schools that maybe have been challenged with retaining talent. One of the questions that I have asked leaders over the years is this, have we created a culture where teachers feel like they are, they are given the autonomy and they're supported in showing their creative genius? I think that's a, very well, interesting point. Speaking about some creative genius, right? And and I'd love to hear a little bit from from Dutch about what he's been working on and what passions he's been pursuing. Dutch, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? I've been trying to learn how to do tricks on the trampoline, and that's really about it. <laughs> and also, <laughs> unity. That's. I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was thinking about learning how to um, program a video game. So we'll have to keep looking into that. And also there's been talk of Dungeons and Dragons with his buddies on um, Zoom. <laughs> oh, great idea. Ah, I like it. <laughs> and I like okay, let's go ahead and very one of the things that we're that we're lacking in this um, in this time is really activity. I'm seeing some students who maybe aren't getting that physical activity like they need to be, and jumping out on that trampoline is is going to be very very helpful for you, Dutch. So keep it up. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at our next question. Um, what I'd like to find out is what the feedback has been um, that any of the panelists have heard from kids or that the kids have themselves about transitioning to this temporary model. Now, I think that it's a given that it is that all of the schools out there, whether they're public or private or where in the world they are, we are, are building this plane as it's already in the air. So we expect that there's going to be bumps in the road and it's not necessarily going to be a smooth process. But can you tell us a little bit about the feedback that you might have, uh, have heard about or have seen? Vernon, can you get us started? 
Yeah, sure. I think, again, and we've kind of talked about some of these themes before, but um, I have seen uh, educators really just be rejuvenated in this process because although um, there has been anxiety, right, I think we're, we have all on uh, different levels uh, relative to, to who we are and our backgrounds, right? We've experienced a, a little bit of uneasiness going through this process, but I have seen so many different people basically say, you know what, this is a great opportunity for me to go ahead and create something new. And when I hear people say that, and I've heard so many different people say that, uh, the paradigms are being shifted. Another thing that, that this has brought up, and again, is something that we take for granted. I have seen so many educators, just phenomenal educators, really stop and reflect on this piece called communication, right? Uh, what a concept between human beings, communication. And on that level, really thinking about when I'm engaged in this dialogue between let's say myself as an educator and another educator or myself as an educator and a student, what does that communication piece look like? And one of the things that when I've coached clients over the years, and I coach clients now as well, um, one of the things that I have asked them is this, in our communication piece, what have we done to invite others into our dialogue? Because one of the things that I've seen over the years is this, if I can invite someone into my dialogue and they can feel like it's a safe dialogue, they can feel like the invitation is authentic, and they can feel like the invitation and the dialogue and the culture around that is a place where they can, again, let their creative genius really shine. We're going to get into some deep, deep, deep cognitive kind of cerebral kind of things, right? Those are breakthroughs. So that's what I have really seen a lot of is people really thinking about how do I invite someone into my dialogue around learning? And I think that's such an exciting piece. Tom, what have you been seeing up in Canada? Uh, I've seen a few things. So uh, I've talked to a few of the parents that are from our school. And I've heard, you know, some of the kids have come up with some of their own ideas, like we've heard on this program as well. And the parents just sort of facilitated the, you know, finding of information and, and that. And, and these were ideas that they actually didn't have while they were at school. So, you know, in the last couple of weeks, they've come up with something on their own, which is awesome and exactly what we would support. Um, but then I've heard from other parents as well where, uh, you know, they're getting a little bit worried and a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of content coming from teachers. And, you know, and I, we're in that bit of a paradigm now where you don't get that, you know, in-person interaction with a teacher and student as much. And now it's just sort of transactional a little bit, you know, with, you know, here's some work to do and all that. And I, I have a bit of a fear that this might turn into more pressure for parents and just be more of an extended homework period. Um, and parents aren't teachers and parents have a whole bunch of other things to do. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do what I can to kind of help a relief, relieve a little bit of pressure on parents. Um, and I know the curriculum is, is really important from an education standpoint, but maybe it's not from a parent standpoint. So I've been having those kind of conversations with parents as well. Exactly. And right now, I think that while academics are absolutely important, 
I think maybe the um, the pieces around communication and connection might even be more important at this time. So it's interesting to hear. I've I've heard from from parents on both end of the spectrum where some people want more things to do, and there are other people who are saying, "Oh my gosh, please stop sending assignments. I've got." too many things to do. So it's trying to find that balance and being empathetic and being flexible with each family where they are. And it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think we're, we're navigating it all together. Um, let's talk to Elizabeth. What do you think? How, and I know you had mentioned earlier that the transition wasn't too bad um, moving to the, the distance learning. If you could tell your teachers and your principal anything, what would you tell them about this transition? Um, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot of complaints because I get to like wake up later and stuff. But it's definitely a lot. It's a bit harder to learn the material when there isn't like, I don't know, sort of a teacher actually teaching it. It's more just worksheets now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's stuff going on with, uh, like, there's stuff going on with, like, the AP test where they're having to switch it up because of the coronavirus. And apparently we're going to have to, like, take it at home or something, and it's only going to be 45 minutes. So that's, like, a big change. Hmm. And I'm kind of panicking because I really want to pass the test. <laughs> well, and and again, I think... A lot of things are going to be shifting and changing as we as we move through this process. Um, one thing I heard you say was that it's it feels difficult because there's not an actual live teacher in front of you to ask questions. Um, and I th- I don't think that that point can be made strongly enough that you cannot replace an actual teacher and face to face interaction. Um, but because we're in the situation that we are in, do you think that maybe having office hours on a Zoom or something might be helpful so that you could get your questions asked? Is that? Definitely, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, Tallulah, I know you're also in high school. If you could tell your principal anything or your teachers at school anything about the transition so far, and I know you've just started, like this is day one for you, um, but what would you tell them? Honestly, I don't know. It hasn't really been that difficult. I mean, it's just all going to be put on Google Classroom, which is not that hard to access. I just don't think it's going to be that hard. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's all these homeschool kids <laughs> that do this, like, constantly. So I don't think it's going to be as difficult as it's being made out to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm not really actually that worried about it. And I, I don't I have any feedback at the time. Okay. Well, and maybe as you get further into it, you'll you'll have other things to say. Yeah. And maybe. Dutch, I know that Dutch, I know that you're about to get started. Um, what do you hope this looks like for my you in middle school? <laughs> I hope I get to hang out with my friends more over Discord, force them to watch uh, shows with me. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of work. <laughs> Well, there you go. And and how about you, Becky? You know, you've been overseeing two kids in this process. What kind of feedback would you give? Um <laughs> I am 
I am optimistic that it's going to go fine. I am a little nervous about um, math. <laughs> like if I have to help them with math homework, mm-hmm. they're going to fail. Um, no, they won't. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> They'll probably end up teaching me. Um, so I, you know, I don't really have any feedback for teachers and principals because I do put a lot of trust in them. I think that they're handling it just fine. And actually what's kind of ironic is in my, um, my job job, I work for a college where they're also, I'm in on these meetings where they're trying to figure out their online learning process and um, just being able to listen to the division chairs and the provost and um, all these folks in charge. I just think a lot of thought and effort has been put into um, these uh, online classes. And, you know, my job in that is to just put that information that they come up with onto the website and make it accessible to the students and faculty when, when the time comes. But I, I just, I'm really, I have a lot of faith in, in the process. So I think they're going to be fine, but I am, I am very nervous about math. And if Dutch doesn't get a lot of work, that just means he gets to mow the lawn more. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the educator in me, um, just kind of did a little happy dance when you were saying, I know the kids are going to teach me because I know that we all feel that when kids are allowed that agency and that ability to teach someone else, it's just better all around. And actually, Palula just mentioned, she says, well, mom, if you can't teach Dutch, I can. And that's true. So they're going to be helping each other out a lot. And that's, that's cool. At least. That's fantastic. And that's Nicole, do you want to jump into the next question? Actually, I wanted to just say about that. That's a really important point and a really good tip for all of us that are nervous about math out there, myself included, because I'm a Spanish teacher. Definitely not a math person. I barely made it. And now um, but when we, as teachers, make lesson plans, we use a tool of, or a theory of the depth, depth of knowledge. A lot of us do. And one of the highest forms of understanding something or really learning it is the ability to teach it to someone else. So actually, um, if we can lean on siblings a little bit to help each other out, not only is that great bonding for um, strengthening our family relationships, but it's also a great learning experience for the kids themselves. So I think that's a really good tip. And then moving into the next question, what opportunities do you see for kids to take control of their learning and to pursue their interests when things go back to quote unquote normal? Vernon? I think one of the things that's implicit in this that's happening, and we've talked a lot about different paradigms shifting, is there are individuals that have been used to, let's say, a direct instruction type of model. And this process is implicitly beneath the surface, right? It is shifting them to project-based learning without maybe them even realizing it. And so when we get on the back end of the whole situation, one of the things that we're going to see across the nation and across the world are classroom classrooms and really beyond that learning experiences. And I really like to use that term because there's a broader context beyond just a physical classroom. Learning experiences are going to reflect more so than they are now and have been. 
real, true, authentic project-based learning. And one of the things that we've all talked about, you all have uh, earlier here on the episode, is that project-based learning is what has inherently at its core a student's passions and interest. And those passions and interest and those things that they aspire to do for me, that's really the perspective that I look at when we talk about post-secondary outcomes. You know, what what do students go on to do beyond their formal education to go ahead and contribute back to society? Exactly. And this is an opportunity for us to move to, more towards that. I know that a lot of schools have moved towards project-based learning, but sometimes in education, well, not sometimes, a lot of times, in education, we rely on what's always been, and change comes slow. So I think that with this situation breaking the mold, it is an opportunity for us to go into that. Um, well, one of the things that's interesting about this, just what you just shared, exactly what you just shared, is if you take decision makers that maybe, you know, in over the span of their career, they're used to maybe more so what we would call a quote-unquote traditional learning model, right? This situation and the uniqueness of it has forced decision makers to be in a position where they have to shift their paradigms. They have to. And um, it's really interesting to me because I've seen the dynamic over the years where you know, maybe you would have some really innovative folks say, hey, I've got these ideas about this, but there was always this other option of the traditional model that where maybe, you know, the dialogue was, you know, yeah, that's a good idea, but I think we're going to stick over here, stick with over here, this traditional model. Well, traditional model of direct instruction and learning. Well, now because of this situation, that option is not in play. So decision makers, whether they were really advocates of this or not, they've been placed in a position where they have to shift. And, and the, one of the reasons they have to shift is to meet the needs of students with the tools and, and uh, the technology that the students have available in a distance, distance learning format. And I was having a discussion with someone last weekend just about this term of asynchronous learning. And that has come up as well, where people have had to stop and say, oh, yeah, let me think about what that term means, not only in a general sense, but what does it mean in terms of the work that I'm doing every day? Absolutely. And again, this is such an opportunity for all of us, for educators to reflect on our practice and for parents to, even though maybe they didn't choose to or don't have all the time to dedicate to homeschooling at the moment, because parents have become so much more involved, we're hoping that this creates a stronger partnership going forward. Tom, what, do, what opportunities do you see for kids to continue to take more control of their learning and pursue interests when things go back to whatever our new normal is? <laughs> I'm glad you said new normal, because I was going to bring that up, because I, I don't think we really know what normal is going to be in the next six months or eight months. And, and uh, yeah, and I think this is a jarring opportunity. Uh, that's, I mean, it's jarring for like education, it's jarring for everybody in the world, but jarring for education because now we've had to force to shift our thinking about how we want to deliver education. And I, and I think this is now going to open up a couple different opportunities for things like, you know, maybe one size fits all one process for all, 
can be considered as maybe not the approach we have to move forward with. Some people have access to the internet and laptops at home. Some people don't. And so that whole equity thing comes into play. Um, but also, I think they're going to have more time at home. And, you know, I think one of them already said this on, you know, on here already, like, this is going to be a long break, just like summer. And there's a lot of curiosity and exploration that happens in summer. And uh, maybe this can be a helpful shift towards allowing kids to be more interest driven and really giving them permission to find the things that they really enjoy, whether that's outdoors on a trampoline and, and learning stuff from that, or if it's planting gardens. Exactly. And, and that's, that's definitely what we're hoping moving forward. I like also, Tom, that you mentioned equity. Because one of the things that as educators we're, we've been reflecting upon is that this situation has really highlighted a lot of the inequities that children have in terms of access to education. And we um, at the Edutable feel that that is so important that Melissa and I have actually dedicated an upcoming episode to that topic. So we'll be looking at that um, more in depth. Elizabeth, what do you feel um, is an opportunity for what opportunity do you feel that you have to take more control of your learning as things uh, go back to the new normal? Um, well, I think I have more control, I guess, like over time management, definitely. And like sort of my pace of learning because a lot of times um, with distance learning, they'll assign um, like a bunch of worksheets that you do during individual time. And I can usually get those done like at least 10 minutes before class ends. So I have like a ton of free time to do like whatever I want, whether it's like waste time on the internet or do something productive. And I think that's, it's really nice. Something like I wasn't able to do before because like in the classroom, you're sort of forced to sit there and things are a lot more drawn out. Those are excellent lessons, Elizabeth. I'm glad that you're learning that because in all honesty, a lot of adults struggle with that. Time management and learning to take control of your own schedule is, is a huge life school skill. So that's great that you've, um, you're getting that out of this situation. Tallulah, what do you feel um, are your opportunities to continue to take control of your learning when things go back to our new normal? Uh. Well, I'm not exactly sure about when they go back to normal, but the only thing that's going to be hard for me right now is I'm a huge procrastinator. Nothing is going to get done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to drown in school. Work. Oh, no, she won't. Well, I mean, it <laughs> then again, that happens during school. So I just think I'm in a bad situation either way. <laughs> Well, hopefully this can be an opportunity for you to look at um, some time management strategies. I mean, 15 years and nothing's happened yet, so maybe. <laughs> well, we're in a new paradigm now. So. Oh, <laughs> Tallulah, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and some of us, myself included, Tallulah, are, are just never really great at that. <laughs> but we can always improve. Thank you. And Dutch, what would you like to see change about your um, control over your own learning as things go back? I can't think of anything because like, there's no options. I, I can't do anything in middle school. It's either I get into this class or I don't. And I can't choose electives because I'm in band. <laughs> so you'd like to have more control over what you learn. I'm okay where I am. 
Yeah. Okay. I- <laughs> <laughs> All right. That sounds great. And Becky, what do you feel? What would you like as a mom? What would you like to see as a mom, excuse me, um, in terms of your kids having more control over their learning? As well, we should? I, would, I would say, um, I think Dutch does benefit from the trampoline in the backyard <laughs> and being able to let off some steam. And I think it would be nice if um, educators or um, administrators would remember that kids really do need to move physically. Um, it helps, I think, a lot of kids with learning. And um, there's so much sitting and there's so much listening. And that's really difficult for certain kinds of kids. And um, I myself was a kid that had a hard time sitting still and listening all day. And I, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I like to do things. I like to touch things. I like to make things. And um, I just think the more hands-on and then the, and more opportunity for the physicality of learning would be kind of nice. I, I'd sure like to see that. Becky, I could not agree with you more. Um, I do a lot of work and advocacy and writing about ADHD inspired by my son, Jason, and um, my journey as a mother and an educator to learn more about how to accommodate and support children with ADHD. And children with ADHD generally have um, hyperactivity, but in reality, all of us can benefit from more learning um, that requires movement or more uh, movement, excuse me, learning that is centered around movement. And that would be great to see um, transition back with us. And, and for I agree, us, like, Nicole. I, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. I was just saying, like, for us at the school, we see the exact same thing. So, you know, Becky, when you say, like, you see advantages to that, like, absolutely. Like, every morning we're out and the whole school's out for a walk or there's some sort of physical activity. So, you know, it's and, – and you can even look into, you know, the psychology and the neuroscience behind it and all that. Like, when our bodies get active, our brains get active, and, and we learn through that. Very, very true. Then I just wanted to hop in there, you know, taking off my principal hat and putting on my mom hat. My my first grader has a very, very hard time sitting down. He's just very active, which which is wonderful and and good all on its own. But I I noticed that I had I got a wiggle cushion and I got one of the chair bands, um, and that has allowed him to channel his energy. And we also have a small little trampoline in the front room. And when he's getting too antsy, he just says, mom, can I go, can I go do 50 jumps? And I say, absolutely. And then he's able to refocus. And this, this has come up time and time again in our conversations on Twitter and with different people in our, in our professional learning network. And we're going to be actually dedicating a future episode to this whole um, topic around movement in this time as well. Yes, and I'm excited about that episode with you. Nicole, I think I lost you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. I was just saying that I'm really excited about that episode about movement. I think that we all can benefit from movement right now um, to focus better and to manage some of the anxiety we're feeling. Very true. Very true. I think we're starting to run a little bit low on time. Um, Nicole, did you want to thank all of our panelists for joining us today? 
I do. And I also want to say, um, I apologize for my sound quality. I'm, my internet uh, company is not working so great right now in my area. And I want to thank you all for being here, especially under such difficult circumstances. I appreciate your taking the time. And I think that this conversation has become more critical than ever. And thank you for all pulling. Thank you all for pulling up a seat and being part of our show today. Please remember to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Edge Table. We really want to hear from you. The more diversity of voices, the richer the conversation. Also, please remember to check out the articles and videos on our website at theedgetable.com and subscribe so that we can deliver all of this content right to your inbox. Thank you for listening. And remember that children always benefit when parents and educators work together. Thank you so much, everybody. And don't forget to give us um, a review on wherever you get your your podcast from, because the more five-star reviews and more honest feedback we get, the better uh, content we'll be able to deliver to you as we go on. Again, thank you so much for pulling up a seat, and we will talk to you next time.